for us, like number one, like product comes first. Like if you don't have a good product that people are going to want to buy multiple times, then retention is going to be like a really hard battle for you or it would be for us personally. Use the loyalty program to award them points to help us with ideas. What does it actually mean to retain a customer? What does it actually mean for them to buy? Does it mean buying for them again? This is The Retention Road, a podcast that uncovers actionable retention strategies for your D2C brand. Deb interviews the top in-house retention marketers to help you increase repeat purchase rate, drive customer loyalty, and build community. Enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Retention Roadshow. Today, I'm joined with McCoy and Matt from Portland Leather. How are you folks doing? We're good. How are you? I'm doing, doing great. Good. Where Where are you folks from? We are from Portland, Oregon, believe it or not. Amazing. <laughs> uh, no, no surprises there. I, I love, I love a s- simple company name. Uh, it just matches where you're, where you're from. It's amazing. Um, I think I first heard about you when you attended some dinner on Twitter, or, or, or it was the Whaley's. I'm not, not exactly sure. And then I think somebody wrote about you, folks, being like, a, like you know, nobody heard about you technically, like not a mainstream brand, but you do is you're doing some 150 million dollars in revenue. And I'm like, oh my God, um, how come they're not talked about more? And uh, I definitely need to talk to these folks. And thankfully, I was on Twitter. So we, we caught up and uh, here we are. Yeah, we're glad right. to be here. Thanks for having us. Amazing. Cool, folks. So could you please give us an intro of yourselves and uh, of the brand uh, that you're heading, marketing in? Sure. Um, my name is McCoy. I'm the CMO of Portland Leather Goods. I started here about five years ago or so. Back when I started, it was just primarily an Etsy business. We were selling quite a bit on Etsy in the like uh, personalized toiletry bag and leather bag uh, space, but it was very low key. Um, when I came aboard, there was a skeletonized Shopify site uh, uh, live. So we took that, we scaled that every day and then a COVID pandemic hit, we pivoted pretty hard. And so now we're 100% on Shopify and it's just been explosive growth pretty much since then. Yeah, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm the director of marketing and I came on to Portland Leather a couple of years ago and handle a lot of the paid media and retention strategies here at Portland Leather. And as McCoy mentioned, it has been a fantastic ride and it's been very interesting to see the growth from obviously here in Portland, Oregon. So it's great. That's that's really amazing to hear. Are you folks 100% EDC or do you have a retail presence as well? We do have two um, retail stores here in Portland. They perform beyond expectation for their like size. I don't really tell people like we're in retail, but we do have a flagship store primarily like kind of actually as a retention point on probably one of the most walkable streets in Portland. It's on 23rd, but it is a very small street. And then below our offices here where we're sitting, we do have an outlet store that handles a lot of like, it gets its own independent inventory, but it's mainly to help us handle like the flow of returns and sell those off at like a really good price to some of our locals. That is amazing. Uh, I know one more person who uh, works at a similar company. It's called Range Letter. If you know about them, they're from Wyoming. Wow. Tim, uh, yeah, they they also work uh, like their office and the, and the store are in the same building. And mm-hmm. he was talking like uh, a while back, he was talking about how, you know, it's so integrated, like marketing, customer success, store. They, they all do all of it. Do, do you folks have a similar setup or it's like office, store, completely separate? different walking style. Yeah. So as you walk in our building, you like walk in the main entrance is our outlet store. And then there's like a stairway okay. that takes you up to our offices. But to, to your point, we, we quite literally used to have like offices 
right next to chairs and desks right next to what was like our, our outlet store. Um, it was just like a very small wall full of goods. Um, we'd get, you know, like diehard customers who'd come in who were local, shop around for a couple hours. But we've moved that outlet now downstairs in a big way and it's quite a bit larger. And so it's a little bit more out of our, um, out of our sight than, uh, you know, 20 <laughs> feet away when we're working on something. I, I absolutely love that, you know, literally working where you're selling. So, I mean, it couldn't, couldn't be more better. We, we can't do it in SaaS. So that's that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. So let's, let's get down to the uh, brass tags. Uh, in, in like, let's say a few sentences or maybe a paragraph, maybe. Can you describe what the overarching retention strategy is at, uh, at Portland Leather? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, I'll let Matt handle more like the technical side of it. I can handle more like the philosophy, uh, philosophy, blah, wow. Like so philosophy. There we go. Side of it. Um, I think for us, like number one, like product comes first. Like if you don't have a good product that people are going to want to buy multiple times, uh, if the cost to value ratio of that product is way out of whack, then retention is going to be like a really hard battle for you or would be for us personally. So I think the retention strategy for Portland Leather from the product side and the overarching theme of it is like make a fantastic product, sell it at like an unbelievably low price, create that insane cost to value ratio, nurture that with a community and with like things like a augment it with things like a loyalty system or what have you. But um, make sure that like the customer actually wants to come back to buy a fantastic product twice and you're not swimming upstream trying to sell them crap over and over and over again. If you get that right, we, retention can be super, super easy when again, augmented by like some of the awesome tools and some of the awesome tech stack that we use. That's uh, that's an amazing summary. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. It's it's literally the same across every business, even for agencies. If you have great service, they will come back, they'll refer. If you have a great product, same thing, they'll come back, they will keep referring. I think uh, that's, that's such a key point. And across the seven episodes I've recorded so far, I think that's uh, one theme that's, that's been recurring. Uh, product has to be great no no questions about it uh, that's awesome can i can i ask you about like one miracle like out of box strategy that well literally took retention to a next level for your brand talk about the insiders yeah i i go for it you want Maybe. To talk about? no go for, no um yeah i mean for us like it, it wasn't like a SaaS company or anything although we do have like our fair share of successes when it comes to something like that um for us it was really like community driven so mm -hmm like give running through a quick uh, history of it was basically we noticed there was a lot of like commenting on our ads right social proof is fantastic we almost turned one gigantic or one main ad into almost like a forum board if you will with people coming back and talking on there so at some point we decided it was time for us to take that in-house and create like a facebook group for us so we built like a whole retention strategy around getting people into this facebook group because we knew what was in there was several thousand of like our most diehard most uh, brand loyal customers and then that community has grown and grown and grown. And the conversation has grown and grown and grown. And I genuinely don't know what we would do without that looking back. And it only started, I think, March of last year. Yeah. So it's almost a year in March, March 23rd. And basically we were able to take that community and build our loyalty program off of their needs and what they wanted to see as diehard consumers. And it's really helped project our loyalty program points for every purchase and everything like that in the right direction, which has allowed the people that haven't known about Portland Leather in the last 365 days, get to know us very intimately as they join the community, as they join the loyalty program, 
as in that retention strategy has, I mean, like I, you can't call it a campaign. It's a full year campaign. The last year it's been an amazing, uh, extreme success story for us as far as retention goes. That, that is amazing. We are going to talk about that in a second. I want to really dive deep into the community segment. I think that's, again, something a lot of brands are investing in. I mean, the most recent example I can think of is Jones Road Beauty, who just started a couple of months back. And it, yeah, they, they grew their community to some 8,000 members by now. And uh, I think they're le- really exploring that angle. I think you folks have figured it out already. And it's like growing really fast. But again, switching gears for a second, you're a nine-figure brand. And uh, I know for a fact that like, you know, the bigger the brands are, the retention takes a hit a little bit. Is that the same case for you? And what is the percentage of recurring customers for you? So we're actually in, that's, it's, it's funny you lead in that way. We're actually in kind of like a, the opposite problem right now where we're, we're actually having too many repeat customers and we're trying to like oh offset God. that with new customers. It's kind of crazy. So like we really had a fantastic year, like um, focusing on retention last year. We didn't have a loyalty system. So we got on board with Yapo. We had our, our Facebook group, which has been ridiculous. Retention.com is a, a software company that we love. Um, and so we normally stay in that like, like high forties ish percent of returning customers. And we're actually probably the most imbalanced we've been in years and actually tipping the scale and returning customers are representing the majority of orders right now, which for us just signals potential to push new customers into the system. We're dealing with some supply chain, some like product issues right now that we'd love some more inventory to sell those new customers. And then we're lagging a little bit, but, uh, it's actually, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because we're the most imbalanced we've been in years and it's actually in the favorable position where. We have like a, an incredible fan base, an incredible like uh, loyal customer base who are overrepresenting uh, in returning customer rate compared to new customers right now. So we're going to try to fix that. We're going to try to, you know, <laughs> get some new customers in the door. We're not going to try to cut down the returning customers, but get more new customers. And then hopefully we can get that back uh, under the majority. Well, that is amazing. I mean, that's literally the what the podcast is for, like, you know, getting more returning customers to DC brands and helping, you know, from experts like you to do that. Forty uh, percent retention rate is amazing. I think the standard is around twenty to twenty-five. If you, if you're lucky, the that's mm. the average. But forty percent for a nine-figure brand is well, it's unbelievable. First of all, and second, you folks have pulled off something really, really uh, amazing. Before I really just uh, dive into the community segment, there's Dr. Explore there. Can I understand that? Is that the only uh, channel that you're like hundred percent focused on, or? Like, do you also go with the traditional ones like email, SMS, all of it? And if you do, how do you do that? Yeah, totally. We definitely have all the traditional channels as well. Email, SMS, um, you know, your paid search, paid acquisition, Facebook, um, a little bit of Pinterest, you name it, we're, we're doing it. And we use the generic DTC tech stack of Clavio and Attentive for the SMS and email and it's been great. So yeah, and we, we use our community. We make sure everybody in that 55,000 person community is involved in SMS or involved in email. I mean, you can pretty much guarantee we have their email, but then growing that community with text as well, doing limited drops, early releases, early sales dates through text has allowed us to grow our SMS um, subscriber growth as well, so. Okay, okay, that's interesting. So couple of questions there. One, in terms of retention through email and SMS, what kind of flows do you see are working really well? And can you describe them a little bit? Second, yeah. in terms of specifically for SMS, when you send them SMS, 
right? Is is like one of the campaigns, hey, through the SMS, hey, uh, join this community and you could be a part of limited drops. And how, 100%. how does that yeah, big campaigns usually will send out like once every 60 days is a join this crazy Facebook group of like-minded individuals, have a lot of fun doing it. You know, we're not selling product there. You're just there to talk with other people that love leather bags, love leather purses, love shoes, things like that. And it's a great community. So we use SMS to get people to grow that community. And then it just becomes a cycle from there. And then on the email side, some really successful flows that I've seen are our loyalty flows are fully built out, which means people are getting point reminders. People are getting birthday rewards, all the, all the fun stuff that they see come every once 30 days, every seven days, they're going to get an email regarding new product drops. They're going to get an email regarding how many points they have, how many points translates to $50 that they should go take a look at our new small leather wallets and things like that. I would say the loyalty flows have been exceptional for us. Our welcome flow is phenomenal way to show the brand off to new consumers. Usually I like to highlight the collections we share, the products that they might not have seen when they first visit the site and then retarget them through retargeting emails as well. So if they're visiting just a certain leather purse on the site, we've built out a retargeting flow to re-engage that person if they haven't purchased that leather purse with emails, basically a retargeting ad for emails, so. Okay, amazing. When when you talk about retargeting emails, do you mean abandoned visited or abandoned cart? So we have those, 100%, abandoned cart, abandoned product views and everything like that. But like taking it even further would be an extreme flow of, sure they might've abandoned cart, but on top of that, two days after that abandoned cart, or even like less than two days, shoot them with like a extremely product hyper-focused email of that product that they were viewing on the site. Okay. Not just like your generic, here's 30% off. This is the bag you were looking at. Go finish your cart, but highlight the features of that bag because there might've been a selling point that you missed on the PDP. That is amazing. So instead of just like, I mean, discount is there, but you also talk about the product a little more. Yeah. Than- that you know pdps are well a lot of text let's face it so they might actually remove uh no yeah like you said they yeah. might miss miss certain things. yeah you know pdps I, have like eight images yeah. on them why don't we yeah. show them different images that weren't on the pdp because right. there could be an angle in there that they wanted to see that okay. hindered them from making that purchase so that that sounds like you know hyper personalization which i love but at the same time it's very difficult to set up at scale yeah. how how do you do that at scale if you could explain a little bit. We have a four-person graphic design team um, or okay. three graphic designers that are right next to our marketing team, McCoy and I, and they build out these emails. They build out our texts. They build out everything that we need done. They'll get it done in a very timely manner so that we can continue with all the kind of SKUs we have, 3,000 oh, plus shit. SKUs minus like sizes and things like that to really make sure that we are focused on every single customer that comes to the site. And uh, the flows are all automated. So you don't like go on, change the flows or everything. Uh, if, if products are discontinued for any reason or, or something like that, then the, that's right. something I have to be cognizant of. Some campaigns I will send out manually, okay, depending on what type of campaign it is. But I do have a ton of automated flows within Clavio. Makes sense. Or Clavio. <laughs> 
I I think they clarified it's Clavio, but I, I still love Cla Clavio. Some well, it's fine. I think they they don't <laughs> mind as long as they get the brand name out. Uh, sponsor me. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so sponsor. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I just had one more question on that e email thread. Is what kind of campaigns or what kind of retention campaigns do you send manually? Because again, at scale, I'm trying to understand. How is it feasible to send uh, campaigns manually? I know it's feasible, but what kind of campaigns are should you be sending manually? So like on the retention, more so on just like a generic campaign that we send manually will be like sale emails. Uh, sometimes point reminders I do send manually versus the automated setup because we have a kind of a special way of awarding points so that I have to make sure that everybody that has those points actually still has those points in their account. And sometimes Yapo and Clavio don't necessarily talk that well with each other. So that is one that has to be like looked at pretty manually. Double point days, which is a loyalty uh, retention strategy as well. So instead of giving somebody one point for every dollar on double point Tuesday, we're going to give them two points for every dollar. And that yeah. gets people excited because that obviously they're earning way more for their dollar that they spend, giving them more points so that in seven, 10 days they come back and buy something with those points. That so those are definitely, man, those are manual 100%. That is interesting. And Double Point Tuesday, that's that's like a kind of campaign that you folks uh, cropped up. 2X Tuesday. Yes, oh. that's oh. that's where I'm leaning for. Yeah. 2X Tuesday. Okay, so okay, I, 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 I get it. Yeah, it clicks. Yeah. yeah. Use it nice. if you want. Okay, it's fine. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. All right. So, uh, and I'm guessing you do similar stuff on the SMS front as well, like, you know, complicated campaigns or complex campaigns, not complicated. Or is, yeah, is, SMS, is it different? I, SMS, I, it is a little bit, it's a, a little bit different. Uh, I keep it to the abandoned cart flows as automation, product view, product browser abandonment flows as automation. And then everything else would be manual for SMS just because it's a little, you know, SMS don't want to be as intrusive and things like that. So, because it's something that pops up on their phone. Sense versus email it hides in the inbox so it's 2023 it should be easy to work with creators by now yet most of us are still stuck in spreadsheets scouring databases and still paying for inauthentic content that's where bounty comes in bounty is a shopify app that puts tiktok ugc and partnerships on autopilot for your brand yeah incentivize your customers to share videos on TikTok after they purchase those who get paid on a cpm basis all content is automatically saved in the app where you can manage usage rights and spark codes in just a few clicks. So start automating UGC and creator marketing for your store. Simply visit bounty.co to book a demo. That's bounty.co to book your demo today. Makes no sense, yeah. SMS is very, uh, well, you're literally texting your buddies there and you don't want a brand popping yeah. up uh, every time. Makes sense. Yeah. If, if you don't mind sharing, or I'm not even sure if you track this, but if you do track it, what part of your retention revenue is from email and SMS, the traditional channels, if you will? First, I don't much. know that we have like a clean a way to you like don't. dissect that okay. for you to say like again like we're we're so cross channel and like things like the Facebook group like all these things contribute. So I think it, I don't know that I could give you a clean number or if it'd be very helpful to say like okay this this pool yeah, of revenue yeah. has nothing to do with this pool of revenue. Um, it's it, it's a little too messy. I think yeah. Interconnected. Yeah, no, completely agree. Because uh, I, I, I was just, uh, my aim for the question was, like, do you have such campaigns which are like, which are completely independent of, you know, a community or something else that, you know, it, it, it just drives a bunch of revenue for you folks? 
I mean, not really. Like we, we, we're always like new customer focused, obviously, like when it comes to running campaigns, that's primarily okay. the reason we run campaigns with the exception right. of the aforementioned like a retention campaigns, like a double point day. But for the most part, like we're blasting everything out. Like our community is so crazy connected to where we can't send, we can barely send anything to a specific group of people without it like making its way back to the group. And everyone's like, hey, what the heck? Why didn't I get the email? Why didn't I get this text? Why didn't I get this direct mailer? So it's 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 been fantastic. Like it's a blessing for sure, but it's, it makes it kind of difficult to do like segmenting and like specific campaigns. So maybe like an at-risk uh, group. Um, Cause you'll be like, let's say you target some at-risk customer and it turns out it's like their husband's account that they bought a bag on cause they didn't want him to see it. And they actually are a super loyal customer. Like what the heck dude, like everyone wants this discount. So it's been a blessing, but um, it's kind of hard to do that segmentation. So basically everything goes to everyone. That's kind of our strategy. That, that is amazing. Yeah. I think there are obviously trade-offs, but uh, I think the trade-offs make sense for you folks, which mm -hmm. is great. Awesome. So let's let's now dive into community. Uh, first and foremost, question like, how did you grow it to fifty five thousand members? And it's fifty five thousand bonkers. Yeah, yeah. I kind of touched on it. Um, but like we mentioned, we have a fantastic like social media team. And like I was uh in the early days of advertising, like we were noticing, okay, we're getting social proof on these ads. These are comments. These are questions. They shouldn't go left unanswered. Like, wouldn't it be so much more impactful? Um, primarily because the primary placement we've used since day one was Facebook feeds, believe it or not. We don't do almost any video. We don't do almost any like story or reels. Like we've been pretty like focused on Facebook feeds. So the nice thing about Facebook, especially this, I've been again, advertising here for almost five years now. So a lot's changed in those, that period of time, but is when somebody's commenting on a post, they're getting that notification and then they're coming back and they can tag their friends in a way that like Instagram makes it just slightly more difficult to like connect that way. And so we were like, okay, this is obviously working for us. We're going to continue to like nurture these comments. As I mentioned, that kind of grew into like a forum um, board almost on one of our like main um, like hero pieces of creative. That translated slowly into people like moving that conversation to another Facebook group, which was not controlled by us. It was actually a Facebook group dedicated to another brand. So that brand's Facebook huh. group became X brand or that brand export and leather goods. That grew and grew and grew um, and eventually hit somewhere in the neighborhood of like eight, nine, 10,000 members. And then the other brand was removed from the group, that persona. So it just became this awesome brand group of just Portland leather. Um, we watched from the sidelines for a long time as like the conversation was going, like our philosophy was don't answer any question that somebody is going to answer for you. Right. So if somebody has a question, it's so much better if um, another community member comes in and is like, well, let me show you the inside of my bag, or let me show you the features that I like about this bag. So we'd answer as much as we could, but we wanted the community um, engagement and the conversation to be as organic as possible. We then migrated that to our own Facebook group. And then the persona from there has always been like, hey, this is an inside scoop on the company. Uh, every comment, every question, again, it's same philosophy. If it can't get answered by a community member, like we'll answer it. So we have three or four different social media members um, who primarily deal in community who are in there constantly. We're always answering questions. We're always giving inside information. They're always sort of like spilling the beans, if you will you know, putting out teasers way before it's time and giving people the inside information and like really doing like guerrilla customer service, if you will, troubleshooting different issues. And it's just been fantastic. Like I mentioned, like there's, it's been two thumbs up, nothing I'd change about it. Um, we, everyone should have a Facebook group if they can manage that. I think you really have to be um, active in it. Like you have to really have like a good reason for them to engage. It's not just like this dead place because they never let the momentum die where it's just like this, like yeah. 
no one's talking in there. Like you got to make sure you have things to talk about, but if you do, like it's an incredible tool to have at your disposal. That, that is brilliant. I, I love the, I love the summary of it. I love the succinctness of how you, like, I mean, it, 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 like you folks, you know, didn't create it from scratch. It was amazing. It was UGC at a very, uh, you know, massive level. And uh, you folks like really capitalize on it, which is amazing. Okay, so that, that community grew, 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 and it's 55,000 today. I'm guessing it's like adding a bunch of thousand members every month, whatever. So how how do you keep that community engaged besides, uh, you know, questions being put up by the community members? Yeah, as much as you can do special to them, you should, we, we try to do. So it's it's a double-edged sword here too, where in, it's a great like focus group for product development and for like product adjustment and for like feature adjustment and product uh, or feature, you know, development. That being said, like, it is kind of like trying to get your fashion report from a football stadium. You're like, okay, everyone loves red and blue. It's like, no, you're just in a football stadium, right? Like you got to be careful with that, that perspective. And so we've tried to keep them engaged a lot of the times by like one, asking for their feedback, you know, that's on the question side, but two, trying to give them what they actually want which is like, okay, I have a favorite product. I want it in this sort of like off color. So we have this whole section of colors that we call the unicorns. They're basically colors that are not in normal production. They can purchase those by purchasing a mystery box. They're not going to be for sale on the website, but then we also come out with limited releases of special colors, more on like the, you know, the rainbow-esque side of things. Um, We try to stick our core colors are browns and blacks, like, you know, the traditional leather colors. But once they uh, build their collection, they're like, okay, I want it in blue. I want it in green. I want it in all these colors. So as much as we can like listen to that feedback and give them like a special product and a special color, we do along with just like whatever events that, um, you know, keep them interested. The retail outlets, uh, the outlet, and then the retail store have also done like a fantastic job, especially locally. I'd love to expand that like more um, across the United States. Well, time will tell, see if that's a viable strategy for us, but the people who come into the store spend so much time uh, searching through like the bins or searching on the shelves for like these kind of oddities of different bags and different colors. And they're so happy for them when they find them. It's like a trophy. Um, they spend so much time coming in and talking to the retail employees about like, Hey, what's coming down the pipeline. So we're trying to make sure that like every touch point is full of just like way too much information and that they're excited about it. But also our, our philosophy is, is that you need to be the most enthusiastic representative of your brand. It doesn't matter how low you set that bar to preserve your ego like the customers will usually settle below it with the exception, obviously, of course, of some fringe few. But so we make sure that that every interaction, every post, every like um, time that they come to the store, like we're setting that bar super, super high so that they don't feel out of place if they have a similar enthusiasm, as opposed to like feeling like out of whack if they come in and they're more excited about the brand than the people who are working at the store or they come in, they're posting about like their collection and it's kind of like falling flat at, from the perspective of the company. So we set that bar as high as physically possible so that it's comfortable for them to engage in that way if they so choose. And uh, it's worked out fantastic for us. That's uh, that, that's a brilliant strategy. Yeah, setting the bar high in a, in a community makes a ton of sense and just in, encouraging your users works really well. Question on how you capitalize on the community. Like you mentioned that you do product teases, a little bit of product drops, some kind of discounts catered to their needs, like colors and all that stuff. But how do you really cap, like besides all of that, or is that it? Or do you have more like campaigns or do you have more strategies uh, that you can leverage uh, that community for sales, retention, uh, loyalty, et cetera? Yeah, so we we use the insiders, um, like McCoy said, giving, giving them products and things like that. So what we can do is 
use the loyalty program to award them points for uh, to help us with ideas, right? So besides sales, it actually the insiders help a lot with generating new ideas for for future six, 12 months down the line. So like asking for what product our best target audience likes would essentially help us take that and build it in six months so that we have that product for them. But then if, if we're guessing if that our best target audience, that 44 year old who loves leather bags likes this bag, then there's going to be someone that we haven't touched who likes that bag as well. And then, so they're going to generate those new customers for us as well in a very long tail with, way so i mean that's one way yeah and we um, have a lot of strategies surrounding them um okay you get you off there too like, no, i mean like on a super like simple practical way like let's say you're a brand who has like a community you can use that it, it's awesome to take the risk out of like a product launch so let's say you're you have an idea of like okay i think this product maybe has like a mass appeal to the market like let me test this out or let me take the risk out of it by producing like this number plus some so I know that like this launch is going to be successful to my most like loyal customers because like they're going to support me no matter what. And I've listened to their feedback and I know they want this product. And then I've taken a lot of the risk out of that product development. And then I can see if I can push that to a larger market. So for us, we're like, okay, we want to develop a new bag. Like we know that there are customers or somebody who's maybe like three or four purchases into their buying journey is likes this size in this shape, but maybe wants a slightly different utility. So like, let's develop a tote that has like a slightly different aesthetic or a slightly different utility. We can count on like a certain number of those going out the door. Like that launch day always looks like this, this large, you know, bell curve. And then we like, okay, what does that native pace settle out to? But we know that we've taken the risk out of developing that product in general, because like the launch is going to be successful. And we know that like somebody three or four bags down their buying journey is going to be interested in this. So at a minimum, like that's the strategy for it, or maybe it is going to be like a great uh, magnet for new customer acquisition. So like, again, if you're like a whatever brand and maybe you're developing new flavor or what have you, mm -hmm. like you can take a lot of the risk out of that product development by like one, listening to your, your focus group, right? Which is your community. Like what do they actually want at that stage in their buying journey and segmenting your brain that way? Again, realizing you're, you're taking a fashion report from a football stadium, this may not be what new customers want, but it may be what existing customers want after three purchases. It's like building out that strategy by listening to your focus group. So leverage your, your community, again, as such, as a focus group to find out where, what people want at what stage and really listening to them with that grain of salt. Makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I think uh, multiple times Mark Cuban, Steve Jobs, they have said, uh, well, well, your customers don't really know what they want. I tend to disagree to a certain degree, like they sort of know what they want. They might not be able to tell you what they want in the right way. I think that's where the grain of salt uh, comes in. Makes a ton of sense and community is the best way to do that. Question for you folks on the community side, like, I mean, you have 55,000 members, obviously 55,000 people are not reordering. There are new members who are just there to just jam about leather, right? Or, you know, amazing bags. What's like, if you have a strategy, then what is the strategy to capitalize on those folks who have just joined a Facebook community just for the sake of it, just to talk leather? Jeez, that's a good one. I mean, the, the, the strategy might be slightly disappointing for the most part. It's kind of like, let them go, like, yeah. let them, let them start just getting uh, involved Engaged. in the community. Yeah. Oftentimes we'll see um, people, you know, make their first purchase, like even a month or two or three after joining the Facebook community, basically like we, we can I can hammer them with ads all day long. Like if that's not going to be a trigger point for them buying, like if it is, they're going to get caught up in that ecosystem and we're going to see a purchase come through. If not, like, okay, it's clearly time to re-strategize and take a different approach here. The Facebook community just kind of doing its thing is incredibly effective at doing that. So people spend time, you know, like considering a purchase 
And they need that like social proof in an extreme way to see, you know, Debbie or whatever, whoever it may be posting that bag in that particular way. And it catches their eye that day. And so as long as we keep that group, you know, active and fun and engaging, it's going to keep popping up on their timeline and like something's going to trigger them at some point to purchase. So um, as disappointing as sometimes it's just to kind of let them go and like make sure that the community just stays strong from a high level perspective. And it usually sorts itself out. Or again, they get picked up in an advertising ecosystem and they make a purchase. That's amazing. I, I love a simple strategy when it works. Yeah, I, I love that. Folks, so uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, but it's also sort of connected to community. How much like, for, uh, okay, two part question. One is uh, how does CX uh, help you with retention? Right. What's your overarching strategy there with CX and how much of CX is involved in managing that community? Like besides general engagement, uh, I know you mentioned that like your social media folks are doing a part CX as well, but is like, do you actually have to do uh, customer support on the group? You want to take it? No, yeah. So customer service, uh, as a lot of people know, is pretty much an extension of marketing. CX does handle, there's like an eight to 10 person team uh, on our customer service team. And they handle every single inbound email to our hello at Portland Leather Goods inbox, right? So they're not touching anything involved with like social media, but they will, they work literally in the same pods right next to our social media team. So they can talk to each other in person or through Slack channel. Um, but the customer service team is they're getting product feedback. They're getting things that might not have gone great with one of our colors or something like that. And they're reporting it back to social and then social can work with the product development team and they can fix products that very rarely ever have like a minor problem or something like that, because we want to make sure everything is absolutely 100% dialed in and CX helps a ton with that. And they actually, as far as the loyalty side goes, we have two people on the CX team that only handle loyalty related questions, which is great for me because I can work with just those two people and get their feedback on things that are going wrong with the loyalty program or things that are going right with the loyalty program. Like this person was not able to redeem their points for X reason. What's that reason? And then go and try to solve that with our developers and things like that. So that's how closely we work with the CX in terms of retention, in terms of making sure our customer does always get what they want when we have wronged them or something like that. And you can see that with our over 100,000 five-star reviews that we have on our site right now. So it's it's pretty ridiculous how yeah. crucial customer service has been um, in, in, along with our social team yeah. for the community. Yeah, and I, I think, think I answered. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that, that definitely answers uh, the question. And just just a shout out out there. I think people boast a lot like about their you know 5,000 five-star reviews or 10,000 five-star reviews. 100,000 five-star reviews is unheard of, purely. Yeah, uh, it's so, that. and that's testament to the social and customer service team, really. Um, just making sure our customer gets everything dialed in and what they need. Amazing, amazing. Love that. Love that you folks uh, directly work with CX for retention as well. Yeah. Okay, so like uh, I think this is one point that you folks touched on uh, a while back, but... I want to know a little bit more about the retail stores and how they help with retention. Yeah. Um, so, as I mentioned, so like there tends to be, we get in kind of like, or let me go back and further. So we, we own the manufacturer that we use in Mexico. So we used to make everything here right in, uh, in Portland. Like, you know, you hear a hammer or sewing machine while you're sitting there doing, you know, your marketing work. 
COVID kind of really like put the nail in the coffin there as far as being able to like steadily hire production. You know, at the same time we're scaling, it was really difficult thing to do here in Portland. Um, it's not a manufacturing town. And then sewing uh, is a, a kind of a, a lost skill. So we moved all of our production down to Mexico where we're like in quite literally in some cases, five minutes from the tanneries where we're being supplied the leather. Um, but we decided to build a manufacturer there instead of just hiring a random factory because we weren't happy with what we were seeing. And that's been fantastic. So now we employ 500 people down in Mexico and it's, it's an incredible operation down there. Um, but that being said, so every once in a while, like they have the ability to like kick us off a couple like odd products and a couple odd colors, um, which again, as I mentioned, is like really what people are looking for. Like once they get into that stage of their buying journey. So if you come in downstairs to the outlet, well, you'll be noticed on the back wall is that one, there's a ride on unicorn, a coin operated unicorn you can sit on and, nice. you know, the kids can go back and forth. So that's really fun. Pixie. Um, Pixie. Yeah. She's gorgeous. She's a, she's a steed for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we always make sure that there's some sort of like odd bag and some color in the store. We often also to sell off prototypes in our store. So people are like really kind of like want to come in and see like what bags are completely unreleased and maybe in completely unreleased colors. But it's also too like that outbound communication. Again, this is a smaller test because we're just looking at the local Portland area. Um, but the outbound communication, you know, which happens between CX, it happens between social media, and it happens also at the retail store. Like people are coming in and they're asking questions like, hey, what's coming down the line? Hey, what bag should I buy? So our retail associates, um, our head of retail, her name is Violet. She's a former C, uh, customer service agent. So she's like incredibly fantastic at like the communication and getting people excited but it really just like gives people again as i mentioned like a vessel for their enthusiasm to come in and like spend time and i I don't know if you're somebody who's ever been like really obsessed with like a brand a product or a store and you go and you can just kind of like wander around for a bit and so we make sure like you don't feel weird when you're doing that like we're like there to help you it's even evolved to the point where people have like small community meetups in the store they'll go like group shopping or people will plan trips to portland to come to the store so um, I'd love to expand that retail like into more cities, but for the time being, like it really is kind of like this special place for people who have a special enthusiasm for the brand. And then that radiates outward. So it's not like a, a ploy to get everybody interested in coming to the store, but it's like so infectious when you do have like a diehard customer who's like one comes into the store and their enthusiasm is matched. And then two, like they're rewarded through some like surprise and delight, or there's some uh, interesting bag for them to buy they take that out into the world, into the community. And like the enthusiasm is infectious. Like word of mouth uh, is incredible for us. So, like our post-purchase survey, I've been shocked at how many people say they first heard about us from word of mouth. Like it would blow your mind compared to like other paid acquisition channels. So word of mouth for amazing. us is absolutely king. Yeah. That, that is amazing. I think that's what I was, uh, well, trying to hear also is how much uh, word of mouth or how much uh, just like, you know, after you visit the stores, for instance, when you mentioned uh, if there's a store similar to that. So yeah, there's a Levi's store very near to my house that I absolutely love. It's huge. And they keep bringing in new pants and t-shirts. And yeah, I, I just wander around for like 10 minutes, just checking them mm-hmm. out, like just, you know, visually checking them out, not even touching and uh, completely agree with it. Yeah. So uh, retail store, word of mouth, love that killing it. Uh, I think, yeah, if you expand beyond that, I think like that whole word of mouth thing would be like 50% of your acquisition. I don't know at some point. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, cool. So that's, that's, uh, that's uh, pretty much what I wanted to know about around community and all that. But again, switching gears a little bit, uh, what metrics do you uh, measure to gauge the efficacy of retention? I would say the number one would be lifetime value because based on like 
CACs and everything like that. If we can obviously spend a certain amount and have a huge LTV at the end of the day, then it's a huge win for us. And what we've noticed in the past year with the community of 55,000 people with loyalty, with SMS, with all email, we've seen our LTV climb from four low fours, yeah, high threes to above $500 in the last 365 days. Um, that's kind of like a guiding light for us that, and then obviously we keep a steady pulse on the return customer rate too. So yeah, TV is king for us. Like, it, I mean, I think that in general, if you're a marketer, like the closer your customer yeah. acquisition cost is to your LTV in general, like it's going to signal like more instability. So the further you can separate those and those can be completely independent, like endeavors, right? Like you have this whole acquisition team that's focused on the actual acquisition of the new customer. And then there's a whole separate thing. that's like, okay, how do I get this LTV up? Um, or in conjunction with that team at a minimum. So the closer those are, like the more difficult that your uh, time that you're going to have, if you can start a separate set of strategies, again, which can be completely independent of your actual ad strategy. You don't have to come in today and like wonder how you optimize an ad for LTV. I think that that might be a mistake. Like how do I optimize the cost to value ratio? How do I optimize the user experience? How do I optimize the CX, the social media presence? Those are all independent of like your big advertising brain. And then they can start to create that separation to where, you know, like, okay, Retention means the lifetime value for the most part for us anyways. Like it's also customer satisfaction and things like that. But um, in simplest terms, let's call it LTV. If I can start to spend more on acquisition or I can borrow against the um, the future LTV of that customer to create the acquisition, like one, my business is more stable as a whole because even in the good and the bad times, I'm still acquiring new customers at a profit compared to their LTV. And then two, like that's an endless road for us, uh, especially as we grow, like we have some customers who have spent like an incredible amount of money. I'm like, we're super grateful for that. But just like the average customer for us is now spending more and more and more as a result of these efforts. And so that's fantastic. And it lets us be more aggressive on our acquisition side. Although that's like steadily getting more expensive as with everyone, because we're borrowing against future LTVs to acquire those customers. So it's for us, like it's, it's pretty simple, like increase your LTV, then go aggressive on the acquisition after that. Well, makes ton of sense. And with 40% retention rate, I'm guessing that's not a big problem for you because, well, yeah. $500 LTV is pretty amazing. Okay, cool. Uh, metrics uh, are great. Uh, what's, uh, what's that one mistake that you see DDC brands early stage do constantly in retention and uh, how, how should they fix that? I think I have one. Do you want to go first? No, you go first. I think, okay, so... I, I see this, I were, like you mentioned, we're kind of um, bursting out of the scene here as far as like the public eye, people are like, oh my God, we're just, we've been in isolation for so long, like just kind of keeping our heads down and like building this brand, um, Matt and I and our owner and founder, Curtis, and along with the whole team. But now that we're kind of coming out of the space, like D2C Twitter is like a whole new thing for me, right? Like this whole D2C like community. And so I think the mistake that I see people making all too often is one majority of people I interact with have like chosen their brand or their brand and their product and their company. And so I'm like, okay, one, you, you probably shouldn't have chosen that. Like if that was your, <laughs> if that was your, um, if that was your idea, as opposed to just being like hired on by a founder, but it's really, for me, it's not focusing enough on the product. Like is, is the cost of value ratio out of whack? I, I use this analogy and it's probably a bad analogy, but like if you go to a cheap restaurant and you have the best meal of your life, you're never going to shut up about that place. You're never going to shut up that place. You're going to want to bring all your friends and all your family to like experience how good the value of this restaurant is. Conversely, if you go like splurge and you spend a ton of money on a really nice meal and you just have some weird crap, like you don't understand, and it's not good on top of all of that. The portions are too small. Like you're never, ever going back. So for me, it's like, it's product, it's product, it's product, it's product. Um, I think people are way too focused on like 
the the advertising side, believe it or not, and not on like the whole customer journey side of things. I think that they're um, we we have like an incredibly low margin some compared to other companies on our actual product because like again like when you say we're direct to consumer that insinuates there's no middleman but they charge their middleman markup just to the, they're just they're getting it instead of the middleman it's like what's the what's the deal here what's the difference so for us again like product product strategy has always been number one like let's find a fantastic product let's make it better cheaper. And then like that cost to value ratio is going to create enthusiasm. It's going to create retention. It's going to radiate outward. So if you're a brand who's like struggling with like retention, I think like, is your product good? Like, I know you think it's good, but like, what are your customers saying? And not what are your, your 10 most loyal customers saying? What's like the, the business metrics telling you as a whole, are people actually coming back to repurchase? Is there an issue with this? Is it too expensive? Like, do you need to cut a little bit out of the price to create, you know, more acquisition and then work on a retention strategy down the road and then, you know, bet on the LTV as opposed to the margin of the single sale. I think uh, that's where people's really hard when they're like, okay, I'm not getting enough sales. Why would I cut my prices down a little bit? I'm like, cause your price is too high. It's out of whack, you know, $3 cheaper. And all of a sudden it's a great deal. And you're, you're at the edge of it just being, you know, either on par cost to value ratio or potentially even too expensive. You know, people have to vote with their wallet. If they don't have enough money in their wallet to participate in your product, then like that's an issue. And then if they go extend and the cost of value ratios out of whack, like you're in trouble. So for me, like brands should be way more focused on their product, 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 um, because advertising, you know, it's, it's a strategy, but you can't solve the product or the problems of an inefficient business with a good advertisement. You can only amplify them. So solve your, your business inefficiencies, amplify that with advertising. That's my, my answer. Uh, for retention, yeah, for DTC brands making uh, retention mistakes, I would I would say that a lot of DTC brands aren't as diverse as they need to be as far as the channels they're reaching and maintaining that customer retention. A lot of DTC brands that I see just advertise on Facebook and try to retain customers retargeting on Facebook or just reaching them through ads on Facebook and email. But you should really be trying to retain that customer through every single channel that they interact with on a daily basis. It might feel overwhelming to the customer, but like if they don't want to hear from you, they'll unsubscribe and that's fine. Okay. If they don't want to hear text messages from you, they'll unsubscribe. I get it. But if they've got 5,000 points in their account, cause they place quite a few orders worth a couple hundred bucks, they're going to use those points, right? You just got to make sure you're, you're in every single interaction across the internet or whether that's print mail or anything like that, you try to bring them back into the fold. And I, I don't think enough DTC brands are as diverse as they need to be, I would say for retention. That's brilliant. Like an omni-channel strategy to retain and get more of your customers back, especially when they can capitalize on points, like literally buy stuff for free. It's, it's a no brainer. Yeah. I, I absolutely love that. And like you all already mentioned uh, what's a mistake and how to fix it. So uh, what would be that number one thing every DDC brand or any DDC brand that are starting retention today, what would be your number one advice for them? Besides, I mean, or one of one of the stuff that we've spoke about. Yeah, I mean, I, that's a great question, right? So if, if you're assuming you're a brand who's like has a steady like acquisition, right? Like I'm getting new customers and I need to start to like learn how to like bait that LTV into the uh, higher and higher. It's kind of like what Matt, Matt said, like, don't go omni-channel. Like, okay, if you're, you can't recontact your customers in the same way that you, you got them in the first place, like you need to diversify too. But like, what is it you're actually trying to get them to do again? So think about like, what is the action I'm actually trying to get them to do to retain them? Like if you're a company who only has a solo hero product, like, 
okay, do they really need another of the exact same t-shirt and the exact same size and the exact same color two, three, four weeks after they purchased the first one, right? So maybe it, I think diversifying your product too is kind of like an, uh, an overlooked strategy here too, where it's like, okay, I can't ask them to buy um, like another mattress again, you know, three, four months down the road. Um, so really thinking about like, okay, what, what does it actually mean to retain a customer? What does it actually mean for them to buy? Does it mean buying for them again? Does my product have like a shelf life? Does it have like, is it consumable? Um, does it mean buying for a friend? Does it mean sharing it? Like, what is, what do I actually need them to do in order to re re build this retention? And if you're like, okay, well, they just need to buy more of the same thing more often, like that might not be a winning strategy and it's time to diversify too. It's where you get like, okay, now we're a business that has a hero product for acquisition and a customer journey that depends on other product development. So who knows? But if it's, if the strategy is just like hammer the same product to the same people for the same price at the same, you know, over and over and over again, like I really worry about that strategy long-term. There has to be something that you want them to do and some reason for them to do that thing. So what is that? Find out what that is. And then the, the process of accelerated common sense should take care of it for it. Like, okay, it's not reasonable for me to expect this action. Let me pivot. Let me try this action. And then try those things. Try a couple different things and then see what sort of customer journeys you can uh, create. That's, uh, that's, that's brilliant advice. Love it. Matt, anything to add? No, I, I, I don't think you can top brilliant advice like that. <laughs> uh, no, oh, amazing. I, I, I love that. Folks, uh, we are at time uh, and this has been amazing, amazing discussion, like so many insights, like I could literally uh, have one individual episode for each of the points, community piece, especially love it. So where, uh, where can, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm not in the Twitterverse yet. I've been, we'll get it. Be been pulled in yeah, we'll like an anchor <laughs> at ocean, be but, there. uh, you find me on LinkedIn or at portlandleathergoods.com backslash checkout to buy some bags. <laughs> and I'm That's on Twitter nice. and LinkedIn. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, uh, McCoy, could you like pronounce your handle once? Yeah, it's M uh, McCoy Merkley, M-A-C-C-O-Y Merkley, M-E-R-K-L-E-Y. That's the, uh, that's the Twitter handle as well? Yes. Amazing. All right, folks, this has been great. Thanks for coming on board uh, and sharing your, well, literally the nine-figure retention strategy. Thank you so much. Amazing. Thanks, man. Have a good one. It's 2023. It should be easy to work with creators by now, isn't it? Yet most of us are still stuck in spreadsheets, scouring databases, and paying for inauthentic content from creators who don't really care about your products. Do they? That's where Bounty comes in. Bounty is a Shopify app that puts TikTok, UGC, and partnerships on autopilot for your store. Bounty works by incentivizing your customers to share videos on TikTok after they purchase. Users get paid on a CPM basis and all content is automatically saved in the app where you can manage usage rights and spark codes in just a few clicks. Bounty also supports gifting with automated auto creation and with invite flows and links it's easy to leverage Bounty's incentive structure for any creator you want to work with. When you're ready to start automating UGC and creator marketing for your store, just visit Bounty.co for a demo. Once again, that's Bounty.co to book your demo. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Retention Road. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on YouTube or leave us a rating review on Apple and Spotify. Thanks again to our sponsor, Bounty, for supporting the show.